Hello, you're listening to the Birdwatch Podcast, powered by NOLA.com. I'm your host, Christian Clark, the new Pelicans beat writer. Uh, came here from Denver. Um, I covered the Nuggets for three seasons, and I've covered the team for about two weeks. And one of the things that, that we'd like to incorporate into the coverage is this podcast. Uh, I'm here with our, our super producer, Jeff Nowak. Uh, Jeff, you are an East Coast guy who is a transplant into the South. I, I'm always curious... Uh, listening to, to east coasters and their perspectives of being down here what was the weirdest thing about moving into the south that it's hot all the time that that's what you got <laughs> <laughs> there's no snow where to go especially during nba season that's kind of the whole point of it right you go inside because it's cold and you get to play basketball are the but, people uh, nicer i don't know if not nicer they're definitely slower slower <laughs> things don't not not slow in intelligence just slow in just overall speed okay everything goes a little slower people drive slower people talk slower they extend all their consonants um but uh no i mean it's uh it's definitely not the case for the basketball team as you've probably witnessed but uh it's been uh it's been quite a transition you know i grew up watching the celtics all those teams i grew up watching the paul pierce big three era and that's that's kind of grown into what the nba is today but it's been quite an adventure, especially watching the Pelicans the last few years. <laughs> well, I grew up in Texas, and you know I've lived in a couple different places, and I can attest that that there is a slowness to the South. Everybody is not as much not as much in a hurry, and I don't think you know I've noticed that more living here than, than any place I've ever lived. I mean, whether it's driving, like people don't even use their turn signals here. I don't <laughs> know. You you just kind of have to adjust to the pace of life. But you know, two weeks in. I'm really loving it here. Um, I'm sure we all wish things could be a little bit better with the Pelicans, that they'd gotten off to a better start. But I still think the future looks really bright. Like, this sucks to be going through right now. Like, just uh, an unbelievable list of injuries. But now I think the next few seasons covering the Pelicans, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yes, it will. And, you know, before we dive into anything here, uh, Chris, why don't you hit people with your uh, Twitter people can follow you yeah yeah uh go ahead and follow me on twitter at c clark 3000 um i'm at every pelicans home game uh, i'm gonna be going to about a half of the away games we're gonna hit the the games uh really hard on, on the road when zion williamson is coming back uh pelicans are, are four and nine right now I, I was at the game last night against golden state which was basically a, a glorified summer league game uh <laughs> pelicans had what nine healthy guys i think the warriors had nine healthy guys they they started draymond green at point guard so that that's where they are uh both teams were were kind of in the same boat and i i kind of couldn't believe i mean me and the other beat writers were were talking to each other like i, I can't believe this is a regular season basketball game but the pelicans were were able to get it done um jj reddick played really well drew holiday kind of a slow start but but came on strong a little bit um and we're just going to dive into a couple macro and micro trends um, through the, these first 13 games or so far. You know, I don't want to start with the injuries thing because I don't want to start with something de- depressing on a podcast. <laughs> so I wanted to start with the guy in the roster who's been in the NBA the longest, J.J. Redick. Um, I've been really impressed by just getting to be around J.J. Redick up close for, you know, the last eight or nine games or so. Um, you know, I, I always thought he was a, an impressive guy from afar, but just seeing how meticulous he is in, in his routine, like just just get there early and, and watch him go through his pregame warmup. Like he does the same routine every time. Um, you know, just his approach in, in year fourteen, 
has been pretty cool to see to me. And he's still freaking balling, man. I mean, <laughs> he scored 26 against the Warriors. He made six of 11 threes. I believe four of them came in the first quarter. Um, he still plays really hard. I don't know. I I guess that's that's one of my takeaways from being around this team is that I've just enjoyed watching JJ Redick play. So obviously, if you've ever wondered what a G League game might be like, you kind of got a feel of that last night. <laughs> Other than you know Redick drew Draymond, it was you know you got to see the Kai Bowman show in the second half, which was kind of fun to watch. You know, he's got that Odell Beckham uh, circa haircut going on. But you know Redick, in watching that game, what impressed me, what impressed me about Redick. That you know, what, when you watch from afar, you don't necessarily notice is you know he's not a plus defender. You didn't bring him here to be a plus defender to be a rebounder, but in that game specifically, when he when they needed him to be that, he was fighting. He was playing. He wasn't backing off and, and letting the big guys take those balls. He was ta- he was jumping in there into the crowd and he was volleyball passing it to people. He's driving hard on closeouts, which is something I haven't seen him do a lot of in pre- previous years because he hasn't had to. It, with this team, especially with a young group, you know, creating that muscle memory is important, especially, you know, it's kind of like a body blow in a fight, you know, that forcing that extra rotation and creating that spacing is when you don't have, you know, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, the elite athletes that you'd expect to do that is super important, especially when you're trying to incorporate Jackson Hayes, incorporate Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Um, what have you seen in that front? Like, what have you seen on, in terms of Reddick specifically, especially the last few games you know, has that jumped out to you at all? Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, one of the biggest things that David Griffin, the, the Pelicans executive vice president of basketball operations, has talked about is building a culture. That's 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 kind of a, a buzzword in the NBA right now is build a culture. That's kind of a buzzword in, like, workspaces in general, probably overused. I don't know. Somebody come up with some synonyms to culture or better words for it. But, uh, you know, J.J. Redick, when you have all these young guys, you, you need those, those veterans in to – to, to show them, like, here's how you stay in this league for a long time and, and, and carve out a role. I mean, J.J. is obviously an incredibly gifted shooter, but, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's pretty small for an NBA player. He's not the fastest guy. You know, I think a, a ton of his success can be attributed to the fact that this guy just works his butt off every single day. And, you know, I, I think the young guys are soaking that up. You know, I talked to Nikhil Alexander-Walker after the game last night and just asked him about, you know JJ's approach, and he said that's definitely something that, that he's been watching. Uh, Pelicans have have three guys on this roster right now who, who were just picked in the first round, so you know they're they're kind of just sponges right now. Jackson Hayes is is another one, and I think you know watching the JJ Reddicks and the Derek Favors of the world work has really beneficial to those guys. Um, you know, I JJ said before the season that he's never missed the playoffs and and he hoped this wasn't the year this is year 14 for him unfortunately it's looking like this might be the year and we've we've asked him a lot about that like you know you've you've won a lot in your career like how frustrating is this for you and you know one of the things that he said is I came into this year without expectations um you know I think he had some expectations but I think he's done a good job of, of not letting this slow start get to him. You know, I could see a guy in his position, he'd be kind of pissed that that he comes to a new team and, and they have th- this run of bad luck. But I think J.J. has really soldiered through it. And, you know, he's been banged up too. Like he, he has a sprained great toe. I don't know what a great toe is. That was on the injury report. Do you have a great toe? <laughs> uh, uh, I have a greatest toe. I'm not sure if, <laughs> I don't if think I, I have a great response. toe. But, yeah, he's been having some issues – and he's still continuing to play through it. Um, 
yeah, like I said, just just a, a really impressive guy. Yeah. So obviously, with the with the nine guys out, his minutes have gone up. You know, his he's being more aggressive earlier in the games. But that wasn't the case early in the season. You know, he was he shooting his shot was off. He seemed a little more tentative. What have you seen that change in the last few games with especially, you know, last night in particular with nine healthy guys, you knew he had to be the scorer and he, you know, he, he took the first shot of the game, you know, he took the last shot of the game on the free throw line. Uh, so what, what have you seen on that front? Yeah, I think he is getting more comfortable in the Pelican system. Um, I think this is definitely, you know, the most up and down wide, wide open system that, that he's ever played in. And, and we're going to get to that a little bit later in the podcast, so I kind of want to just just put a pin in it. But, you know, I think what we saw last night was chemistry with Drew Holiday. Uh, Drew Holiday had nine assists. Seven of them went to J.J. Redick. Um, you know, a couple of those were, were just wide open. They were, they were the obvious play. It wasn't an instance of Drew, like, driving into the paint, drawing the defense to him and, and kicking it to Redick. But I think the chemistry between those guys is getting better and – you know, it's funny, J.J., one of the, one of the reasons he cited that, that he signed here was he really wanted to play with Drew. I think there's a mutual admiration between those guys. I mean, Drew was just gushing about him after the game. Uh, he, he had a really good quote. He said, I'm looking for him every time. No matter where he is, I'm looking for him. It doesn't even matter if he takes a shot. He tracks so many bodies. He gets other guys' shots. Um, those two guys are, are figuring each other out, and you know, I, th- I think that is one of the reasons why you know, we, we've seen J.J. get really hot here. You know, they hit 18 threes last night. Uh, J.J.'s obviously, he hit, well, how many did he hit? Four, he hit six. He took hit six of 11. Uh, Alexander Walker took 13 threes. Probably more than he'd like to see, but he hit five of them. That's not terrible. That's a ton of threes. <laughs> I mean, they shot, how many did they shoot? 46. They hit 18 compared to 25 and seven of the Warriors, obviously. There are a couple pretty good shooters on the Warriors that aren't uh, out there right now. Yeah, it kind of felt like the game plan was, all right, we've got like half the roster out. We're just going to bob away and see what happens. Well, that seems like it's been the case a lot of the time this year, though. I mean, how important is that going forward, especially you're bringing back Zion, but he's not going to be a shooter. He's not going to be a spacer. Yeah, how important is that shot? How important is, you know, even, you know, Reddick's shot's important. Alexander Walker's shot's important. But even, you know, Holiday, you know, he was 0 for 5. Uh Etwan was two for five. Kenrich was zero for four. So, how how do you look at the rest of the season in terms of shooting and see that progressing for this squad? Well, it's interesting if you look at like their overall three point numbers. They're taking a right around forty per game. That's that's like ten more than they attempted last year. And you know, this isn't exactly a roster stocked with like a bunch of three point shooters. In some ways, it's kind of thin on on three point shooters compared to other rosters in the NBA, but. Yeah, I mean, it is really interesting, you know, when, when Zion comes back, I mean, we know that he's a guy who, who just lives at the rim, um, and, you know, the, the way to, to build around him is, is kind of how the Bucks built around Giannis. I think the best way to use him is, is just, you know, let him be a bowling ball who, who gets to the rim and, and lives there where he's so good at finishing and surround him with shooting. So I, I think you're going to see, you know, the Pelicans try to put those types of lineups on the floor, but... Yeah, man, they they are getting up a ton, and I don't think Alvin Gentry minds at all. I mean, anytime you ask him about it, he says, heck yeah. I mean, anytime you're open, shoot it. I think that's you know one of the things that players love about playing for him. Is Alvin Gentry the Ricky Bobby of NBA coaches? <laughs> what do you mean by that? The Ricky Talladega Knights, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> you know, I want to go fast. If you're not first, you're last. Kind of I, I, it kind of feels that way at times, just more and more and more. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I've never heard that before. Um, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, I I think there there are some Ricky Bobby vibes from Alvin. Um, you know, when even when their defense was was second to last, um, the rebounding rate was like third to last. You know, that was kind of some of the messaging. Um, the messaging was also don't turn the freaking ball over. But <laughs> yeah, that's not too bad. Uh, somebody out there, please give us a, a Photoshop of Alvin's head on Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Give him a Wonder Bread uh, shirt, and we'll go from there. Um, <laughs> Great movie, by the way. Have you seen Semi Pro? I have. Okay, it's that's good. that's it's one of my favorites. Tropics, the Flint Tropics. Yeah, I, they any, invented dunking. I hear. Yeah, <laughs> I I've read a. Well, they invented the alley oop. Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know, you actually know. I I kind of did a story about this. David Thompson uh, played his first year in the ABA and then the NBA. Is credited for popularizing the alley oop. Um, it's pretty funny, but dude, I I've read a lot about the ABA. I'm kind of fascinated about it. Uh, I re- Loose balls by Terry Pluto. Highly recommended reading. The stories about that like match up with the stories in that movie so well. Like the thing about the guy getting traded for the washing machine. Like similar stuff happened in the real a- ABA. Like like jerseys would get thrown into trades and stuff like that. So it really was like it. it I mean, it was dramatized in semi pro, but it, it really was that kind of wild. Yeah. So here we, we can do something quick here um, on Jackson Hayes before we move on. Uh, first off, great story on the pickle Rick shoes by uh, <laughs> Christian here. That was a great. That was a great piece. You should look for that. I'm pickle Rick. <laughs> if you watch Rick and Morty, that's a that's a callback there. Um, but even you know, <laughs> he's on the floor and he's out there just doing things that you know just make you just do a double take, which is first off trying to murder everyone every time he dunks the ball, which is pretty <laughs> special. But then he goes out there, and I can't remember who it was he blocked, but he had a block in the first half that he literally – some people say, oh, he blocked that ball into the fifth row, and it's just a hyperbole. It didn't actually happen. He just blocked it real hard. Jackson Hayes literally took a ball and threw it into the fifth row. You know, <laughs> how has it been watching him, especially getting this type of run this early because of the injuries, which we'll dive into pretty quickly – how has it been watching him so far and what has he you know what has he done to impress you or what does he still need to work on in your mind yeah that block was remarkable like that was that was one of the better live blocks i've ever seen like you said literally the fifth sixth row um it was like it was like somebody just served up like a volleyball on a platter (laughs) and he decided before he went up like yeah i'm just gonna spike this thing like as far into the stands as i possibly can like that thing went up like you don't see that like usually you see in a block like Oh, he swats it, and it's immediately like a downward trajectory. The thing went up. Like I thought it was going to go into orbit. That was pretty crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I mean, Hayes. Uh, you know, his potential as a rim runner uh, to just catch the ball and, and dunk it immediately finish is obvious. Um, as a shot blocker, it's pretty obvious too. There have been some some really nice flashes. I mean, last the game against Golden State, first start of his NBA career. Um, look, the the Pelicans are really trying to downplay expectations for him. They are doing the most that they can to to just say that, hey, we're going to bring this guy along really slowly. He's 19 years old. He's 220 pounds. He is just real thin. Um, and I think they know and they're trying to communicate that it's going to take a couple of seasons with this guy. You know, there have been times this year where he just got absolutely bullied on, on the defensive end, got run over, times when he's looked lost. But I do think he's looked a little bit better on the defensive end these last two games. He's held his own. So, honestly, like, this competency on the defensive end the last two games, I think, is really encouraging. But just just continue to 
enjoy the highs and and have low expectations with him this season i would say gotcha yeah and uh we, you know we wanted to get to that little nice part before we made y'all sad with the next part because we're going to dive into uh some of the injury woes that have struck the pelicans this year and it's really been something remarkable uh i did a quick a quick uh rundown here of all the players who have missed injuries and i'll, I'll go through them quickly so you have you know drew holiday's missed two days brandon ingram has missed four uh Josh Hart has missed three games. Actually, Brandon Ingram's missed four and a half if you count the second half of Thunder. Uh, Hart's missed three. Favors has missed four games. Ball has missed five. Frank Jackson's missed one. Jody Okafor has missed four. J.J. Redick has missed one. All of these are with injuries. That adds up to, you know, the Pelicans have played 13 total games. They're four and nine. If you add up all the games missed two to injury, it is 24 games. If you include Zion Williamson and Darius Miller, who have missed 13 each, that means that players on the roster have missed a combined total of 40 games out of 13 possible games that the Pelicans have played. Would I mean, you say that's a lot? I, I think so. You know, okay. I, I haven't done a survey of all the other NBA teams, but, you know, you know, other than the Warriors who probably have, you know, the second best case of we've been snake bit, uh, it's it's remarkable to see. And you, you kind of have to wonder, you, know, you look into it and you can't just, how can one team be struck by this many injuries? Um, but you know, part of that's the game. You gotta gotta go in with, with it. But what what have you seen? What have your what are your takeaways on some of that? Uh, that as we go forward, as Zion hopefully comes back healthy, as Brandon Ingram comes back healthy, as Lonzo Ball comes back, what, what do you see going forward? Well, my main takeaway is that everyone who's listening to this podcast and follows the Pelicans should go in their backyard tonight and get a goat and sacrifice it to the basketball gods because uh, I, I don't really know what else there is to do. Um, you know, the Pelicans re- famously revamped their, their training staff um, in the offseason. They brought in Aaron Nelson, who just has an incredible reputation in the NBA. I think he spent 27 seasons uh, as, as a trainer with the Phoenix Suns. I mean, he had a ton of testimonials of guys like Shaq, Grant Hill, Steve Nash, who say he, you know, lengthened their careers. Like, I think Grant Hill signed in Phoenix specifically because of Aaron Nelson, so the guy has an incredible reputation. He's got history with, with Griff and Alvin Gentry, so I'd say that's why the Pelicans were able to bring him in. Look, I know this sucks. Um, I, I just I think it's too early to like make any sweeping conclusions. Like I know this is just really not fun, but I would say when you're evaluating like a new training staff, you got to have like a one season sample size before you're making any strong conclusions. Um, I mean, this this stinks, but. Let's just hope that this is all the bad luck getting out of the way. Um, I don't know what else there is to say, man. It's it's just brutal. I mean, I think it's also important to just address the idea that the only reason you know that the training staff is a factor is because you know that the training staff is a factor. Like, if they didn't make any of these sweeping changes to the training staff, people wouldn't have been like, oh, well, why isn't the training staff do, doing better? Right? It's the the root of this criticism is just the fact that they did something at all, which you can't blame the team for improving itself. You also can't blame the team's improved training staff for injuries that occur. You can blame the training staff if those injuries, you know, reoccur. If they linger longer than they should. If Zion's supposed to be out six to eight weeks and instead he's out ten. That's when you look at the training staff and you, you can start to, you know, maybe draw some lines and say, you know, is this going the way it should be? Are we are we handling injuries? The training staff isn't able to prevent injuries. They're not out there with bubble wrap before the games. Like, they can only react. They can only do treatment. 
Um, and it's it seems like an odd criticism to make. Um, but what what I what I would wonder, you know, it's, this is not a new epidemic for the Pelicans. They've had injuries. You know, you had Drew Holiday injured last season. Anthony Davis was injured a lot of his career. Um, and do you do you observe what you observe? Do you think that the pace, the system that they're running, could have any sort of? You know, you don't want to speculate on injuries, but do you think that you know the sheer volume of possessions, the sheer volume of times sprinting up and down the court, do you think that has any sort of impact, or do you think it's a you know it's a red herring? So yeah, there is you know there is this, this line of thinking that if you're playing at a, a lightning fast pace, which the Pelicans have been and, and aspire to do, that there's just more wear and tear associated with that, and and that's a fact. Um, there have been a lot of teams who've, who've played really fast and stayed healthy over the course of a season, so it can be done. But like I look at a guy like Derek Favors, um, you know, been in the league a long time. He was with the Jazz for you know all but one season of his career up to this point, and. He played in a really slow system. I've, I've talked to Derek, and he said that this has been a big adjustment for him, being you know the full-time center in, in a really fast-paced offense. Now, whether the injuries that he's had, it's, it's you know knee soreness, and now he's dealing with back spasms, which, is, which have kept him out the last two games, had to do with playing the system, I can't say. Um, but I, I will say, too, that I think Derek Favors is a really important player for this team. Like, I would go almost as far to say is that he's just as important as Brandon Ingram for this team. And I know that that might sound like blasphemy, but I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, once you don't have Derek Favors, your options at center or Jackson Hayes and Joel Okafor, there's just a significant drop off there. And I think that, that Favors provides a level of like competency on the defensive end when he's right and, and competency on the glass that almost no other, you know, big man on, on this roster can provide. So I think he's huge for this team, but you know, circling back, I, I don't know, man. It's, I mean, I, yeah, I, I understand that line of thinking, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not comfortable saying like that's why the, you know, some of these injuries have occurred is because they play so fast. Uh, and I will add that, you know, Aaron Nelson, it's not a coincidence that he was that they hired the trainer who has been on the Suns. That if the Pelicans are anything, they're just the baby of what the Suns were back in Aaron Nelson's heyday. I mean, that was always a team that a running and gunning team back with yeah. Steve Nash, back with all these guys. So, I mean, if, if, if that's the case, then that means that Aaron Nelson was able to do it there and wasn't able to do it here. And that just doesn't seem to add up. So I think it's, it's unfortunate. It's, it's very bad luck with a lot of this stuff, but I think that, you know, there's always regression to the mean in this type of scenario. Uh, and, as frustrating as it is to keep saying patience after you've waited for Zion and you now you're waiting for Ingram, you're waiting for all these guys, but it's a, it's a waiting, it's a waiting game. Uh, we're only 13 games this season. It's a long season. You know, if they, if five games one way or the other is not going to swing the season, it's, it's consistency. It's waiting for the negative regression to turn into positive regression. And when the team gets a chance to play together for, weeks on end without having to constantly re- reestablish rotations. Yeah, I think that that'll help the defense. That'll help, you know, consistent shot making. But right now I, I don't blame fans for being frustrated. Uh, if they had lost to the Warriors last night, that would have been a reason to be frustrated. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's probably the most winnable game that that's going to be on their schedule all season. Uh, a Warriors team that doesn't have clay, doesn't have Steph. They already don't have very much depth at all. Draymond Green is out there running freaking point guard. Uh, that was hilarious. I mean, he only threw the ball into the stands 
twice, I think. So that's probably he probably yeah. hit the under on that. And I'm a, I'm a huge Draymond Green fan too, but yeah, I will I will always remember that game and not for good reasons. Back to the Birdwatch podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Christian Clark. That sounded very radio-y. I, I don't want this to be that radio. I'm, I'm sorry, Jeff. I'll be more of a podcast guy going forward. Um, I wanted to spend, you know, this this last couple of minutes on the show talking about pace. I thought this would be a good topic because I wrote an article about this last week and, and really you know, took a magnifying glass to it. And a couple of people tweeted at me and were like, oh, this this like emphasis on pace is why the Pelicans never defend. This is like the root of all their problems. And then a couple of people tweeted me, you know, kind of coming from the opposite side, and were like, "What does this have to do with anything? Like their issues are on the defensive end. I, I don't understand like why why you continue to hammer this point home. This has nothing to do with anything. So I don't know. People were, were fired up about it, um, kind of on both sides. Um, and I do think it's an interesting topic and. You know, I asked Alvin about it. Me and Scott Kushner, uh, Pelicans columnist, NOLA.com, asked J.J. Redick about it. I thought J.J. had, had some really interesting stuff to say um, just, just about this topic. I mean, look, playing fast has been the defining trait of the Alvin Gentry era in New Orleans. Even when the Pelicans had Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins and were throwing out the, these Twin Tower lineups, they were still playing at the fastest pace in the league. Like, rain or shine, at home or away, no matter what, the Pelicans are going to play fast under under Alvin Gentry. It's just something that that he believed that he believes in. So, you know, I, I asked JJ Redick, who has been in the league for 14 years, just just what are his general impressions about about playing in the system? Um, you know, he was asked compared to other systems, how how freelance is this one? He said the most. Uh, he was asked how often the Pelicans are, are drawn up set plays. He said, "You mean not drawing it up?" That kind of made me raise my eyebrows a little bit. And look, I'm not saying that. Like, J.J. is out here saying what the, the Pelicans are doing is dumb. I, I don't think that's the case at all, and I think he's gotten a little bit more comfortable in New Orleans' system. But I think it is interesting because there are so many new pieces to this team. There are so many young players that I think there has been an adjustment on, on the offensive end. Um, it's not that the Pelicans don't have a plan, but but what they do, they have they have guidelines, not, not set rules. And in any given you know, see offensive sequence, a player with the ball has options A, B, C, and D. It's not like a set play where, oh, this is the only option. Like you have to get the ball at this certain spot on the floor. On the floor, but I think there is a rhythm to it. I think there is a feel. I think there has to be a familiarity between everyone on the team. Um, and you know, I I think a lot of the time there, there were some growing pains early in the season. So. That's to be expected from a, a roster with so many new pieces, uh, so many young guys. But it was just interesting to see Redick express what I would just call mild frustration last week. Yeah, and uh, what you've seen so far, I think, especially uh, I think the Mavericks game was probably the best example where the pace works. They they're scoring, you know, at a clip that you can't keep up with, and they get out to this big lead. But then you end up seeing this just violent swing in the other direction where I think uh, they outscored the Mavs by 20 plus in the first quarter and then they got outscored by an equal amount in the second quarter um, is it just 
a, a staple of having a young team that, that you're just going to have a little bit of that inconsistency or is it just difficult to keep up with when you do running at that pace? Is it keep, difficult to keep up that scoring consistency and that shooting percentage when, you know, as you get as you get tired, as as the legs go? Um, and I, is that why you're kind of seeing them struggle to close out halves, to close out quarters, to close out games? Yeah, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, when you play at this pace, I think it is just going to be a game of runs. And w- when you shoot this many threes, there's there's just going to be some variance. Um, you know, it's it's funny when you ask Alvin to kind of a, a, about a lot of the issues in the early season. The biggest thing that he keeps coming back to is turnovers. Um, you know, the Pelicans have turned the ball over a lot. Like when I, I think there is something like twentieth in, in turnover percentage. So. They can do a much better job, and, and Alvin feels that if they're able to just eliminate a few of those, then everything is going to be look a little bit better. I mean, I, I think their biggest issue through the first 10 games was was probably the transition defense. Like, they were just not getting back at all. Um, they're giving up you know, the most points in transition and fast-break points in the NBA there for a while. And I, I think he's right that, that that does have to do with turnovers. But I also think that, you know, when you're having these issues and and you're still saying like oh we got to push the pace uh, we've got to continue to play fast and, and shoot early in the shot clock then naturally you're just not gonna get back and and dig in on the defensive end as much um you know I, I will say I think one of the things I, I do commend Alvin for is getting Kenrich Williams into the lineup into the starting lineup these last four games look Kenrich Williams uh it's probably, probably obvious. I'm a pretty big Ken Rich Williams fan. I think he does like a lot of the things, and I think he fills a lot of needs that, that not a lot of other players in this Pelicans roster can do. Um, you know, he he doesn't hold the ball. He keeps it moving on the offensive end. He's going to hit the glass hard every time, and he defends. There, there just aren't a lot of players on this this roster who's th- those those guys have that strength. And I don't think Ken Rich Williams is necessarily an Alvin Gentry guy. You know, he, he passes up shots sometimes, and I, I think that's if I had to pick one pet peeve, look, I don't, I don't know Alvin that well. I've, I've spent a little bit of time about him, but I would say that's that's one of his biggest pet peeves when guys pass up shots on the offensive end. It, it I think it drives him a little bit crazy. Kendrick does do that sometimes, but I think Alvin, you know, the last couple of games has been willing to live with that a little bit more, and and in turn, I think you've seen the Pelicans be competent on the defensive end and on the glass. So I would say that's been big for them. Yeah, and and I think. Having those hustle guys, you know, Kenneth Williams, Kenny Hustle, got that nickname, Josh Hart. I mean, he was leading rebounder for a while. You know, how, how important is – did he have 15 rebounds in one game, I think, as a, at the two-guard spot? I mean, how important is having those guys in the system when, you, you know, when you're talking about we're running, we're running, we're running constantly? And these are just guys, they're not, they're not uh, expecting their own shot. You know, they're not expecting to be – leading that offense they're just they're, they're filling their role uh especially on the second unit as you get into the deeper rotations throughout the game how does that impact you know how what they're trying to do and is is that kind of a product of having all these deeper rotations like they're playing 12 men a game when they have 12 men to play uh is is having josh hart and Ken, kendrick williams a factor there yeah i mean i i think you know those guys are probably two of the best three defenders on the roster uh the other one being Derek favors when he's healthy um, you know, Josh Hart is a really good defender. I think, you know, he fits in with the way that the Pelicans want to play offensively, maybe a little bit better than Kenrich, but I still think Kenrich is a good fit. I mean, Josh Hart is not going to be a guy who's passing up threes. He's 
you know, not bashful about taking that three-point shot at all. He's a good three-point shooter. So I think those guys are, are huge for this team, definitely. Um, and, you know, it, it's kind of funny going into the season. People were saying, like, well, the Pelicans, they have a lot of good defenders, especially, you know, at, at the guard spots like the, the Alonzo Ball, Drew Holiday. You know, backcourt has the potential to be one of the, the best defensive backcourts in the NBA. And I think it's true that they do have a lot of, like, good defenders at the guard spots I think you know a lot of their their issues defensively in the half quarter that their bigs sometimes struggle and, and like I said earlier in this podcast Derek Favors is a pretty good defender but he's been hurt for a lot of the season and so and you're forced to rely on you know Jalil Okafor Jackson Hayes who's all 19 years old and a lot of your, your breakdowns are occurring uh, I, I think because of some of those guys have been thrust into bigger roles we can put this in a little bit of perspective too if you're wondering just how fast this offense operates this is coming out of a story that christian wrote last week which kind of breaks down how quickly the pelicans are shooting in relation to the shot clock so that kind of includes you know super early shots that come with 22 seconds or more left on the shot clock those are usually based on steals and you know turnovers things like that you know or very very early shots coming with 18 or more seconds and uh even anywhere down to 15 seconds left in the shot clock is considered an early shot in an nba offense uh, obviously it's 24 second shot clock um if you want to compare what the pelicans are doing to the rest of the nba there's a good graphic that breaks this down in the story as well the pelicans are shooting 40 taking 43 percent of their shots at least as of last week when this was uh when this was posted um, compared to the rest of the NBA, which was sitting at 34%. So that's a pretty big disparity and a pretty big, a pretty good indicator of how fast they're going. Um, and if, in my opinion, I think that ends up getting higher. I think they're actually not going as fast as they want to be without Zion, without, without Ingram in the lineup, without Hart in the lineup, without Vaughn in the lineup. How fast do you think that Gentry really wants this to go? Like, what percentage do you think they could get to with their shots coming before the shot clock is even halfway gone? Yeah, I mean, I think they're, what, fifth in pace right now. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they, they finished the season first. Um, I mean, you're right that Lonzo is definitely a guy who, who thrives in transition. Zion is just a runaway train in transition, like if – I was a defender, and it was me and him in transition. I would just get out of the way. I would actually just go sit on the bench because he's just terrifying. There's, there's. I mean, he's an unprecedented player. There's never been a guy, you know, six foot seven who weighs two hundred and eighty five pounds who who can jump forty three inches in the air or, or whatever it is. So he's an absolute terror. And yeah, no, I, I I totally agree with you that there is even another gear for this team to access, and, and Alvin said as much too. And you know, just continue on that is that a good thing you know it, they they seem to not be able to play def- defense at a, at a high level now with the pace that they're at or at least that's what the statistics show is that something that will be exacerbated by continuing to push 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 or do you think that as they get these guys back and the team defense becomes a little more constructed and you have all of your players available is that something that you can bring down where you're not going to you're never going to be a team that holds people to 95 points a game, but can they hold people to 105 points a game or 110 points a game and average 115? Yeah, um, I think it's just hard to, to say until you just have health. I mean, this is it, the Pelicans overall are, are just a really hard team to evaluate because it's changing from game to game. I mean, they've they've used 10 different starting lineups in, in 13 games so far. So 
yeah, I, I don't really have a sense of whether it's it would be a good or a bad thing. I think it's just the thing that that is going to be the case, and, and we'll have to see what they look like when when all these pieces get healthy. But you know, it's funny, man. This the injuries thing. I keep telling the other beat guys like I have never seen anything like this. I mean, I don't have a ton of experience. I covered the Nuggets for three years before this, but they just say that's life on the Pel's beat, man. Uh, you know, they've taken steps to to change the fact that that's life on the Pel's beat. But uh, wow. And just to double down on that points per game thing. Uh, so far, so the the Pelicans won 108, 100 last night, and that seems like a normal NBA score, which it is. I think the average NBA score is 110 this season, which is the highest it's been. Uh, the sec, the lowest opponent point total before that was the uh, the Miami Heat on Saturday, where they held them to 109 points in a loss. They only scored 94. Um, the Charlotte scored 110. The Pelicans won that game. Uh, you also have games where they allowed 130 point points to the Warriors. That was back when Steph had two working hands. Uh, the Denver Nuggets only scored 107 points in the other game. The Pelicans won. Oklahoma City had 115 in a Pelicans loss. Brooklyn had 135 in a Pelicans loss. So it's the the points scored is something to, that you just kind of have to watch. It seems like they're at least trying to to adjust to the players they have now that they they have the injuries. But I I wouldn't get used to that. I think once Gentry gets his players back, he's gonna be he's going to be pushing that. He's going to be wanting them to get that points scored total up back to the uh back to the all-star game uh <laughs> pace yeah. that you, you're accustomed to seeing the last few years yeah, yeah i didn't even notice that before you pointed out they haven't uh held a team to under 100 this year i don't know if i was setting the over under on, on times this season the pelicans actually hold the opponent to, to under 100 i don't know i'd probably say four and a half does that seem right yeah, well, I mean, uh, we might want to just go over to, uh, was it Raising Cane's who gives out the free fries? Because I'm sure they give out a lot of them. <laughs> they might need to raise the 100. I mean, 100 points just seems like, you know, fry city for the Pelicans. But, yeah, it's it's crazy. But th- that's what this system is. You, you want to look at the point per game totals, and you, you can't even match them up against other teams. You know, they're going to score at a higher clip. They're going to shoot at a higher clip. And it's just, that's the offense. you, you got to live with it. Uh, and that's the defense. You got to live with it. It's just you know you look. You want to compare it to LSU football. You know, would you rather see LSU football win nine six? Would you rather see him win forty six forty one? You know, and you can't win forty six to six. <laughs> yeah. When you're going at that pace, your defense is not going to be elite. You're, it just can't be. You you're gonna you don't have the energy levels to sustain that. You don't have the just half court offense defense. Like you don't have the half court opportunities to just clamp down and you know it's all oh, football and basketball are two different things but i mean fitness isn't like you're asking guys to sprint back constantly and that's just something that as you watch it happen you have to appreciate that it's not going to be elite all the time on the defensive end when you took the you know they scored a basket you inbounded the ball and shot it and scored within eight seconds and now you're back again like yeah. that's just human nature. Like you can't you can't expect a team to do both of those things. There's a really fun team here. I don't know if the Pelicans will like will actually see it on the floor. I'm I'm really hoping so. I'm optimistic. I mean, but, but you know, once they get some of these guys back, once once Alvin's able to figure out some of these rotations, you know, I think these are gonna this is gonna be an extremely fun team to watch. I mean, that might not translate into a ton of wins. Uh, I think unfortunately, JJ's 
playoff streak is probably going to come to an end this year, but this could be a highly entertaining team, um, you know, once these get right and once these rotations get settled. So, I don't know. This has been a disappointing start, but I just don't think you should feel discouraged. I mean, there there's still a lot to like about this roster and still the, the long-term future and all that. So, stick with it. I know these are some dark times right now, but I think, you know, even as early as next month, you know, we could be having a lot of fun watching the Pelicans together, even if it doesn't seem like it. Uh, For perspective, you're talking about a team that started 0-4. They looked, they were, in a lot of these games, they could have won at least two of those. Since then, they're 4-5. and I think this team is a lot closer to a 4-5 and team than an 0-4 team, but I also think they're a long way from a above 500 team. Yeah, yeah. I would say, you know, if everything broke right for the Pelicans, like I think their best case scenario this year is something like 45 wins. Uh, not everything broke right. Spoiler alert. So <laughs> Things uh, broke. Yeah, yeah, things broke. Yes. No, you're right about that. <laughs> not for good reasons. close by kind of doing a quick hits and a lightning round just kind of look over what the pelicans have coming up next week it's a pretty busy week um so i'm going to tell you what the games are when they're playing uh and uh christian's going to go through kind of his quick take on the uh, on the opponents so let's start that now on tuesday which is you know at the time of recording this tomorrow the pelicans are welcoming the portland trailblazers of sweeping them in the playoffs fame uh Christian, what's your uh, what's your quick hit your quick take on the Blazers? What do you think of that game? Do you think the Pelicans win? Do you think they lose? Do you think they compete? Man, uh, I'm famously not good at predictions, but it might see mellow in that game, so that's fun. Uh, Paul George made his debut with the Clippers here the other night. Uh, mellow is expected to play in that one. I'll say the Pelicans win. Uh, you know, Blazers are really banged up. Um, you know, trying to introduce a player like Mellow onto a team there might be some growing pains i don't know how good i feel about that working overall so i'll I'll say they get it done that night uh two nights later they're in phoenix the suns are pesky the suns are are fun this year like aaron baines has has made them a competent team i think it's going to be a pretty hard one for them uh the aaron nelson revenge game that's uh... oh the aaron (laughs) nelson revenge game wow or monty williams revenge game if you're doing that yeah Anyway, everyone should remember Monty Williams uh, led the Falcons to the playoffs in the 2015 season. Yeah, I always love when people like talk about bit bit players or, or bit characters, and they say the so and so revenge game. That's like one of my favorite. things. <laughs> That's the best part. <laughs> so I don't know. I guess I'll say they lose uh, that one. That's uh, the Suns are tough. Suns man. are pesky. I mean, the Suns are doing everything that you would want the Pelicans to be doing right now, which is you know they don't have DeAndre Ayton, and they are still you know, gaming. They're tough matchups, especially for the Pelicans. They're guys, this is another team that loves to run. Uh, that's going to be a game that if you can stay up late and watch it, I think it'll be uh, it'll be entertaining. It'll be nice to see if the Pelicans have enough players on the roster to try to keep pace. All right, after that, it's the Jazz, which uh, you may remember from the preseason. Um, the Jazz have had a, had a, had a, Back and forth start. Well, what do you think of the Jazz so far? What do you think of that matchup? You know, Mike Conley coming into t- or, uh, taking on Mike Conley in his house, his new house. Yeah, Mike Conley. It's it's been kind of a rough go for him so far. I watched the uh, the Jazz and Memphis game on I think it was Friday, and 
I don't know, man. It's kind of getting to the point where I'm like, is uh, is Mike Conley just just falling off a little bit? I mean, that that kind of just it happens all of a sudden with smaller guards. But I'm a huge Donovan Mitchell fan. I love watching that dude play in person anytime I I can. He brutalized the Nuggets a number of times while I, I was covering that team, and so I mean they're always a good watch. Uh, Joe Ingles, um, a hipster basketball favorite, also one of my favorites. So I you know they. They just play good basketball. I think Quinn Snyder is one of the better coaches in the NBA, so it should be a fun one. And uh, that's the Derek Favors return that night. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we. I don't think it's. We can call it a revenge game. It's more like a welcome back, Derek. Like more they're gonna a, love him. It's more of a thanks for uh, doing good by me and sending me where I wanted game. Yeah, that's a, a thanks game. for your service game. Right. <laughs> thanks for not forcing me to play behind the you know best defensive center in the NBA game. Anyway. Yeah. Right. Um, and then uh, we're going to wrap this up with the LA Clippers. Their Pelicans are in LA before coming back for another LA team that uh, we'll dive more into next week. But uh, what do you think about the Clippers? Pelicans just beat them without Kawhi Leonard. Uh, you know, you stand a reason he would be there for that game. They still have Paul George. Patrick Beverly uh, wasn't in this last game either. What do you think about the Clippers? You think you'll get a better effort out of them at home or? Yeah, man. I mean, I my question with the Clippers is like, how many games are we actually going to see Paul George and Kawhi Leonard play together this year? Uh, is just Paul George the last time? You know, early part of the season, it's mostly been just Kawhi. Like, are we are they going to play in like fifty games together this season? Uh, probably not. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. It's if those two guys are around the court. I mean, I, I want to see it just from like a basketball fan's perspective that uh, doesn't bode well for the Pelicans if, if they are out there together. But yeah, man, it seems like the Clippers are just going to load manage this entire season. And, you know, that's honestly probably smart if, if your goal is to win the championship, but that, that just sucks for the basketball consumer. Right. For the people buying tickets to the games, um, for the, for the season ticket holders who who re-upped because they wanted to see Kawhi and Paul George play, but hey, they get the first round of the playoff tickets. I guess that's something, right? Um, so from there, I mean, I think you're looking at, I think you're looking, you have four games coming up. I think there are two definitely winnable games. I think that the Pelicans can beat the Blazers. I think that Drew Holiday has that number, and I think uh, the Jazz game is a winnable game. The Suns game is going to be tough. Um, and uh, the Clippers game is going to be tough. But if it, you know, I think that that's, that's a two and two possible stretch, especially if they get some players back. I think we'll close on that. Uh, Christian, if you have anything else. We oh, this was fun, Jeff. Thanks for doing this, everybody. Uh, 8 p.m., we'll go in our backyards and uh, the goats. The uh, NOAA.com does not con- condone any oh, yeah, live we don't animal sacrifices. Life sacrifice. um, right, yeah. I do have to say that for legal reasons. Uh, but, you know, we'll end there because that's just, you know. Live animal uh, sacrifices is probably the point where you probably want to cut off any podcast. But uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week. Again, you can give Christian a follow at his, on his Twitter at... Find me on Twitter at CClark3000. Follow along. Pelicans coverage all year, baby. Right. And if you want to find any more gifts about of Jackson Hayes uh, blocking a ball into the upper atmosphere, you can follow me at, at Jeff underscore Nowak. And yeah, you continue to go on NOAA.com for day-to-day coverage from Christian. And, uh, yeah, don't, won't bow down, right? That's what they say. <laughs> All right, y'all. Take care.